Good morning, Restoration Church. <laughs> wow. Who, who paid you guys to clap? No, I'm just kidding. Hey, thank you guys so much for, for doing that. This is, if you guys don't know, this is my first time ever preaching, so you guys get a treat. So if I make any mistakes, just tell Pastor Nate. It's all his fault, you know. We're so happy that you're here this morning joining us and being a part of what God has for you. And you're wondering, what the heck is on the projector right now? We are in a series right now called Quit Church, and we are not telling you guys to literally up and leave and, and never have anything to do with Quit Church ever again. But we are, we are, this series is inspired by a book that was written by Chris Songson. And again, I forgot to bring it up with me on stage. But it's a book that we are reading as a staff and inspired the series, and it's, it's helping us as individuals and church and as a church to quit the attitudes and actions that keep us from winning, that keep us and the church from winning. And I'm not talking about it in a worldly way. I'm talking about it in a godly way. So in the first week, Pastor Andrew spoke, and he spoke on the message of quit, quit expecting to wake up in heaven. And one of the things that he said that is that you will never find a perfect church because we're made up, a church is made up of, of people that have fallen short of the glory of God for we all have sinned. We will never find a perfect church. So the other thing we have to remember is that we have to have an attitude of loyalty and unity, which means that we want to resemble God. God doesn't just give up on us when we make a mistake. So as brothers and sisters in Christ, when we are pursuing just one more to reach just one more person, when someone makes mistakes and when someone falls, we don't just say, oh, I can't put up with you anymore. I'm leaving. We have to work towards it. We have to work through it with, together as, as God does with us. The other thing is we have to start attacking the problem instead of attacking the person. We have to start looking out. Amen, sister. Thank you. We got one of those. Can you give, give a round of applause for that? Hey, don't be afraid to say hallelujah, amen, whatever you want to say. It helps. Amen. All right. Um, so, so we have to start attacking the problem instead of the person. And we have to start looking out for each other's back instead of stabbing each other in the back. One of my favorites from that, that points that, that was from that sermon is that uh, quit expecting your, your leaders and your pastors to be perfect. And I say this to you because I know 100% I have fallen short of the glory of God for I have sinned many times. And guess what? We're all sinners, and that's why Jesus had to die on the cross for our sins. But the beauty of God is that he can take people with broken, broken, broken lives, and he can make a masterpiece out of it, and he can raise you up. He can make you make a difference in someone else's lives and give them an opportunity to know Jesus and have eternal life. So whether you're a, lo I'm a, lo you're a location pastor like me, or maybe you're in a different arena in the business, like you have such power of influence, whatever it is, um, we're, all, we're all leaders in some way, and we're all sinful. So continue to pray for your leaders and your pastors as we continue to pray for you guys also. Our church wins when we build each other up with our words and refuse to gossip, judge others, and speak negatively towards each other. That's all part of quit expecting to wake up in heaven. So as a church, we need to be mindful of how we use our words to build each other up. Pastor, uh, our deacon Mike Eunice last week 
got probably the hardest topic you could ever you could speak about speak on for this series. And so he spoke on quit giving your money away, and he, he was speaking on giving, tithing, and offering giving to the church. And so Mike isn't here, but if he ever hears me in any time, I just want to say thank you for picking the short end of the stick for us and <laughs> getting that out of the way. But we thank you. He did it with such poise and humility and wisdom so that so we can understand that when we give, we resemble God because God is a giver. When you give, it's an act of worship. And worship is not just on a Sunday morning where we raise our hands and we sing because that's amazing too. But worship is fully giving your life to God, giving him, making him Lord over all, of, all areas of your life. God is not Lord of some. He's Lord of all. And so that includes our finances. So giving to God is an act of worship. When we, when we give, we are opening doors for God to bless us. I'm not trying to teach prosperity gospel, but we have a generous God. And as he gives to us and we are wise with our, with our finances and give to others, he will continue to pour into us so that we can continue to make a difference in the community. And so how do we do that as a church? Well, recently, we sponsored a family fund day for SOS Recovery, which works with... Amen. <laughs> With, they work with, with, fan, with adults who struggle with drug addiction, and the, we sponsored this event at the Jenny Thompson Pool so that they can have a place, an environment where their families can come together and just ha- spend time together in a, in a healthy environment. So give yourselves a round of applause for that restoration, too. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> We are a church that gives, and we are a church that helps. We are a church that is not for ourselves. We are a church that wants to reach out to the community and make a difference. So this week, I'm going to be talking about quit hoping people will come to church. Quit hoping people would come. It's good to hope. It's good to pray that people will come, but it's not enough for people to come. In the book of James, it talks that faith without works is dead. I want you guys to imagine with me. Let's say I have this thing that people call a girlfriend. Like, I pretend, okay? Pretend I had one, all right? Maybe some, I don't know, maybe God. But, you know, um, pretend I, I had one and I said, man, I hope she loves me, but I don't do anything to to make her want to love me. Like, I don't take her out on dates. I only call her and text her if I need something. Hey, babe, can you grab a cheeseburger on your way over? I'm hungry. No pickles. Uh, she'll prob- I will- that relationship probably won't last. You know, how about in your marriage? If you say, oh, man, I wish my wife loves me, but I- you never take one evening to take her out to dinner to show her how much you care for her. How hard is it going to be for her to, maybe it's not that hard, maybe you're just that great, but it's awesome to be able to do that with each other because you really show that you love the other person. So that's the, that's, the, that's the same thing with quit hoping people will come. We can pray all we want, we can hope all we want, but if we don't do anything, we should quit expecting people to come. I want to tell you guys an illustration, a story about that happened in my life, and it's not something that I'm proud of, but it was something that helped me grow because it helped me think about, man, do I really believe what I believe? Do I believe that I am a child of God and I have been saved? 
And the story takes place when I was in high school, I think sophomore year. So I, I think I've, accept, yeah, I've accepted Christ. And it was during breakfast. And so I was in the cafeteria and I was eating. And if you've ever been to the old Dover High School cafeteria, it's really big. It's like four times the size of this room. And there's a balcony over it. And so people are eating breakfast and people are looking down from the balconies. And I'm sitting in one of the corners and I hear I, one of the teachers comes down. And it was the, the floor had been wet because I believe it was winter at that time. And all of a sudden, she falls, and you hear a loud noise. I don't know if it was her head or what, but it was just, it was so loud, the room was pin drop silent. Like, not the whole cafeteria. Everyone's heads turned to her. And I was sitting right there. She was right behind me. And I said, Will, help her. Just get up, just get up, just help her. But I couldn't do it. And, I, and you know why I, I, I didn't do it? I think I didn't do it because I didn't want to look like Mr. Goody Two-Shoes in front of everybody. Because I thought in my immature mind that to be cool in high school, you can't be too nice, especially to a teacher. But Matthew 5.16 says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. I did not let my light shine. In my story, I missed a chance to be a light in my school and bring glory to God. But what about the moments, this is a question I want to ask, but what about the moments in our lives where we miss the chance to bring life to others and bring souls to God? The idea that I want us to, to think about as we continue with this message is that God has a brilliant strategy to reach your city, to reach our city, and we're it. Again, it's good to expect people, to hope for people, to pray for people to come, but it's not enough. We got to put faith into action. So what can we do? God wants everyone to know him. He wants everybody to have eternal life, and he uses us as his vessels to carry the message of Jesus. Pastor Nate said this one time in, a location, in our Milton location when we were, we were having a meeting for launch, and he said, there's one thing that we can do in earth, on earth that we can't do in heaven. If you were to take a guess, does anyone know what that is? Evangelize. Are you the amen? Are you saying... Amen. Amen. Give her a round of applause. That's my amen girl right there. We need, we need more of you. No, I'm just kidding. Don't be pressured to say amen, guys. You can't. You don't need to say amen. Um, but thank you. Yes, there's, Pastor Nate says that there's one thing we can't do in heaven that we can only do here on earth, and that's to tell someone about Jesus and give them the opportunity to know him. And sharing the story of Jesus is so important to him, to Jesus, that his last words that he includes it in his last words. We'll look at what his last words were. But for right now, I want to do something a little fun. I have a few last words that I want to see if anybody in this room can guess who it is. So the first person's last words, he died in 1965, and he said, I am bored with it all. This man was from England. He was a prime minister. That's a big hint. Say it out loud. Winston Churchill, good job, Josh. You must have got an A in history. That's good, man. Tell me how it feels. No, I'm just kidding. I think I did well in history. Uh, the next one, 1977, this person died. He was an entertainer. He was a musician. But what? Who the? God, stealing my thunder. Come on, guys. This is, uh, so he kind of said it. Um, 
it's along the same lines, but the total opposite. He says to, to the audience before, of his last performance before he died, he said to them, I hope I haven't bored you. So he, you can tell he's an entertainer. And I can't help but to feel like I can relate to Elvis Presley a lot because of my hair. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> because uh, does anyone here know what the Enneagram test is? Can you raise your hands if you know what the Enneagram test is? I have wonderful friends who told me I should do it, and I was reluctant, but they're like, you should do it. And I said, no. And they said, you should do it. And I said, fine. Okay, I'll do it. And I did it. I believe that's how it went down. (laughs) And I took it. And there are nine personalities in this test, one through nine. And out of all the nine types of personality, guess which one I got? I got the entertainer and the enthusiast. I'm like, God, like, is this a good thing? Like... Was Jesus an entertainer and enthusiast? Like, am I in the wrong line of work? Like, next month I'm going to try out to be a late night talk show host. So, no, I'm, I love being a location pastor, and I know that we all have our personalities and gifts that God uses. Mine just happens to be along these lines. And I'm so thankful for God for that, too. So, this last person, he died in 2011. He was an innovator, an inventor. He, ha- he has influenced us in so many ways. Come on. You guys are too good. I can't get anything by it. Yes. He said, his last word, Steve Jobs said, oh, wow, oh, wow, oh, wow. And I read the article, and it was pretty interesting because his sister says that before he said his last words, he had his last speech. I don't know if you guys have ever thought that far, but Steve Jobs did. He had a last speech. And I picked out a couple sentences from that that, was really interesting to me. He said, nonstop pursuing of wealth will only turn a person into a twisted being just like me. And the second one was, the wealth I have won in my life, I cannot bring with me. His last words were, oh wow, oh wow, oh wow. And he said it after he looked at his sister, and he looked at his children, he looked at his wife, and then he looked behind them and beyond them, and he said, oh wow, oh wow, oh wow. Now, I have no idea what he saw, but if I was to take a guess, all I know is that Steve Jobs was the 110th richest man when he died in 2011. He was worth $8.3 billion, and I believe that from where he was standing, he saw heaven, and I'm not saying he went to heaven or hell, I'm just saying from where he was standing, he saw heaven. He saw the splendor, the majesty, the glory, and the holiness, and the purity of God, and he had nothing to say but, oh, wow. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. And I believe that 100% because that will probably be the same reaction when I'm witnessing God for the first time in front of me. Now, with that said, let's take a look at Jesus' last words. I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 through 20. I'm reading from the New Living Translation version. Therefore, Go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of age. Why was Jesus' last words a command? Why wasn't it how to find your way into Narnia? Why wasn't it how to turn two fish into 5,000? Why wasn't it how to cast a demon out of someone? Why wasn't it how to make one dollar turn into a million dollars. 
so you can give it to charity, right? <laughs> Why was his last words a command? It's because the Bible talks to us like, and, he, and it represents us like sh- as sheep. And if you guys know anything about sheep, sheep tends to go astray a lot. That's why they have a shepherd to lead them, lead them and that's why they have uh, herd, herding dogs. And I thought I just saw my brother. Just a second. That's not my brother. Moving on. <laughs> um, Jesus is our, the Bible also talks about Jesus as our shepherd. And his last words couldn't have been better because he gave us a command. He gave us a mission. A lot of people know it as the Great Commission. So if you're here in this room and you're asking yourselves, man, God, what is my purpose in life? What do you want me to do? Well, look no further. I'll tell you right now, every one of us here in this room, our mission is to go and make disciples. Now, how does that look? It may look different for all of us. My arena is being, again, a location pastor here in Dover. Your arena might be in your, in your, line, in your line of work. Maybe it's giving, uh, you know, maybe one of your gifts is giving, and you have a lot of power and a lot of influence, and so you're able to reach people and disciple people in, in classes and in, in, in places that I can't reach from where I'm from. Whatever arena it is, we all share the same mission, and that is to make disciples and to reach people and make disciples. God has a brilliant strategy to reach our city, and we're it. We're going to read read the story of Matthew and break down the three-pronged, Matthew is one of Jesus' disciples. We're going to read his story, and we're going to break down the three-pronged approach that he used to reach the people in his circle of influence. So let's jump right in. I want you guys to turn with me now to Matthew 9, verses 9 through 12. And it says, as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. And he said, follow me and be my disciple. Jesus said to him, so Matthew got up and followed him. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? I want you guys to take a look with me. When Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. Before we jump right into our first point, I want us to understand something. If you guys are reading another version, let's say the English Standard Version, uh, it doesn't say that Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his house for dinner. So you're probably like, wait a second, my Bible doesn't say that. There's a problem here. I don't know if I can... I can try this, trust this, what's wrong? And um, I want to tell you something. The amazing thing about the Bible is that just like when you're someone's investigating a crime and they're interviewing several eyewitnesses, if all the stories lined up, had the same details, that story would sound even, uh, sound more fishy. It would not sound as reliable because it would, it would show that they collaborated with each other to the point where every single detail was so, it lined up perfectly. The beauty about the Bible is that it's written from different perspectives. And so one author might leave out a detail that this author includes. So, you, so you're now we're asking, well, then, if mine says, if yours says that he invited them and mine doesn't, where in the Bible, what other perspective can we see that Matthew did invite Jesus to his house? 
for dinner. I want you guys to take a look with me on the screen. Luke 5, 27 through 32. This is the same story, and just to confuse you even more, a lot of people back in the days had more than one name. So Matthew is also called Levi, like in this passage. As Jesus, so Levi got up, everything, oh. Later, as Jesus left the town, he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Later, Levi held a banquet in his home with Jesus as a guest of honor. So this is the, I believe, the ESV version. Um, but I think the NLT version uh, specifies that he actually invited Jesus. But you can tell that it was Matthew's house. He had him as the guest of honor. And so he invited Jesus. I want to address that before we move forward because that's a very important part of this whole message. So with that being said, let's jump right in to the first point in this, in, in this sermon. Invest. Invest in relationships. Turn with me to Matthew 9, verses 9 through 12. Is it on the screen? Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 through 12. All right. As Jesus was walking along, oh, yeah, we already read this. I'm so sorry. So the question is, who do we invest in? Well, there are three types of people in this, in this passage. There's Jesus and his disciples. There is the tax collectors, and there's sinners. I want us to understand who tax collectors were back in those days because that's what Matthew was. Tax collectors were looked down upon in the Jewish community because they stole from their own people. They stole from the Jewish community. So the Romans would assign a tax to be collected from the Jewish people. Let's say it's 20%. I'm just throwing out numbers right now. The tax collectors would collect 30% and collect that difference of 10% and keep it to themselves. And so they were very wealthy. They were very rich, but they did it in a way that hurt their own people. So the language that was used in, in, the, in Matthew 9, 9 through 12, why do your teachers hang out or have dinner with such scum? That's because they were le- literally the lowest of the low in, in that culture. And Jesus is trying to say here, this is an attitude that we can learn from Jesus that I want us to adopt as a church, that we are not better than the people we are reaching because we were once those tax collectors and sinners. The Pharisees had thought of, of themselves so highly that they started to shrink the door and the path for people to know Jesus, to know God. But Jesus is saying, I don't care if you're the lowest of the low. I'm opening my doors wide so that no matter where you've been, no matter your history, no matter what you've done, even on your deathbed, if you cry out to me and you, you ask me to, for forgiveness to be your Lord and Savior, you can come in. Because our salvation and our relationship with God is not based on our works and how, how, good, how many good things we can do, but it's based on God's grace in our lives. Can I get an amen? Amen. amen. <laughs> Where's my amen lady? Come on. Good. Good. <laughs> That's better, yeah. Um, <laughs> so remember that attitude. We're not better than the, tax, than the people we're trying to reach because we were once those tax collectors and sinners. 
Luke invested in those relationships. Remember, in this story, he didn't invest, he didn't invite, he didn't invite lawyers, he didn't invite businessmen, he didn't invite accountants, he invited tax collectors, his coworkers. So who do we invest? We invest the people that are in our circle of influence. You might say to yourself right now, well, Will, I'm shy. Like, I have a hard time holding down a good conversation, let alone investing and maintaining in relationships. And I understand that. And what I'm about to say right now may sound a little harsh to you, but it comes out of a heart that loves you and wants us to continue to grow as a church. But I want to tell you guys that this morning that that shouldn't be an excuse because motivation can put us can push us out of our comfort zone and get and help us to get better in areas that we are lacking. For example, if I pick someone who's an introvert in this room and I can't think of one right off the top of my head. So let's say their name is uh, Josh. <laughs> Cuz he's such an introvert. Let's say Josh is an introvert and he has a hard time connecting with the people in his office. He just says, hi, hey, bye, peace, sometimes. <laughs> if I told Josh, not this Josh, the introvert Josh, that, hey, Josh, I'm going to give you a million dollars if you go and start talking and start investing in the relationship with your coworker that sits right next to you that you don't really have a relationship with. And I want you to have a good relationship with him. Be, you can be assured that when Josh gets home, and even in that workplace, he's going to put on his earphones, go on YouTube, and search how to be good friends with other people. <laughs> how to maintain a good relationship. How to maintain a good conversation. What not to say in a conversation. <laughs> What's the definition of yeet? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> like that, Luke? <laughs> um, so... He's going to do everything in his power to, to be able to push himself out of his comfort zone because there's a million dollars on the line. What the mission that God has called us to in reaching people and discipling them, yes, a million dollars is not on the line. Um, Jesus is not saying, if you talk to that person and make them a disciple, I'm going to give you a million dollars. Jesus is not saying that. But there's much more on the line that, than we're talking about than a million dollars. I want to, us to adopt another attitude that will help us to continue on the mission that God has for us. And that attitude is, souls are worth more than money and materialistic things. If you're taking notes, write that one down. Your coworkers, your friends, your family, the people you see across the street, your neighbors you never talked to, their souls, the people that have never known God, are worth more than anything this world can offer them whether it's money or anything materialistic. Matthew invested in those relationships, and that's why those people came. He established what we call a relational equity, which means that he built the trust and, and the relationship between him and his coworkers so that when he invited them to come to his house to meet Jesus, they were like, oh, I've, I've eaten dinner with him. I know him. Uh, what's so bad about going with him to meet Jesus. So they go. It's time already. Um, 
Some of you here this morning realize that you may not have a lot of relationship with non-believers because you've been a believer for such a long time. I want you to know that you're missing out on the full picture of life that Jesus modeled for us. Jesus didn't just spend time with his disciples. He spent time with, he spent time with non-believers. The Bible talks about how he was, uh, he was speaking in front of massive crowds. Jesus put himself out there. And so what we can learn from Jesus is that he wants us to put ourselves out there so that non-believers, people in our lives, our coworkers, can have a relationship with us so that when we do invite them to, to, to a place where they can meet Jesus, like a church, like this church, they'll be, it'll be easier for them to say yes. My second point is that we have to invite. We have to invite them to a place where they can meet Jesus. I know that inviting someone can be scary for some of us. If they, you start thinking, what if they think I'm weird? What if they don't like the music because it's sad and boring? What if the message that is given by the pastor is so terrible that my friend leaves more confused than he did than when, when he was than before he came. It's not just your nightmare. That's my nightmare too as I stand here on stage. But I know God is speaking through me. Amen? Amen. And so those are some of the questions that come up. And those aren't necessarily a bad thing because you want your friends to know Jesus. So that's a good thing. You want your friends to know Jesus. I want to tell you guys a story, my friend Tyler. And Tyler is not, was not a believer when I met him. And we moved into his neighborhood, and we played on the same soccer team. And before I met Tyler, I was able to only juggle like 10 times. After I met Tyler in the summer, I was able to juggle like 100 times. This is where all the young people say, weird flex, but okay. <laughs> and so what I'm trying to say is that Tyler wasn't a believer but I had developed a good relationship with him. So when God started moving my heart and said, Will, I want you to start inviting people, telling people about me, it was easy for me to invite Tyler to church, although I still had these questions. I invited him to church, to, to English church, and um, we were actually in the another, we were in the, part, in the youth group section, so we had our own service. And the leader was talking, and all of a sudden, Tyler picks up his Bible, and he goes, and I jump like three feet in the air. I'm like, what the heck? Like, Tyler, what's wrong? Like, I just killed a spider. I lifted that Bible. There was no spider under that Bible. So I'm like, all right, buddy. Like, I just slid, slid my Bible back to him. A few moments later, Tyler tosses his Bible into the middle of the table, and he says, I don't believe this. I'm like, great. God, I told you he was not going to believe you. I told you he was going to reject you. Now I look foolish for bringing him to church. I forgot what, what happened, but we, I, I believe we like help him answer some of the questions with love, of course. But I didn't talk for, to Tyler for about a month. Later on, when I started talking with him, I find out that Tyler has been reading Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis, and he's been reading his Bible, and that he accepted Christ into his life. Come on. What God wants for us is to be able to take that step of faith to invite someone to church, to invite someone to a place where they can meet Jesus, invest in those relationships, and then invite them. Because God is so eager and willing to introduce himself to to those people that don't know him. He wants to use us, though, as his vessels to bring them to him and to bring him to them. So 
Don't ever forget that. He's willing and eager. We just have to have that step, take that step of faith in reaching out and inviting them. I love our church because of the atmosphere that we set here and the welcoming atmosphere that we set here. We make it uh, uh, a point to talk about being welcoming when people come to our doors in, volunteer, in the volunteer meeting that we have in the morning. We say, hey guys, if you see someone new, make sure you approach them, say hi, and make them feel at home. I also love the coffee that we have. We're intentional about that too. We, pick, we, uh, we get Freedom Coffee. We got some volunteers. Good job. Thank you, thank you. And it's, I have one person that, that, comes, that, know, that I know comes to church. The first thing he does is run to the coffee because that's what comforts him. He doesn't know, he's an introvert, and he says we have the, the like, really good coffee, so that's, that's a win right there. But I also love our music, because we're not, we're so relevant to the times. We're not still stuck on or, an organ, but we are continuously, continuously shifting with the times, but sticking to the message that Jesus Christ is Lord, and the only way to heaven, amen. And, and that's, that's why I love our church. I remember when I was, worshiping in Plymouth when the first few times I started going to Restoration Church, I was up there and I was raising my hands. I was like, uh, oh, praise the name of the Lord. Our... And then a hand just went, his hand just went up right next to me. I'm like, whoa. Like, in my head, I'm like, keep singing. Like, in my head, I'm like saying, no way he's putting his hand up. No way. He hasn't accepted Christ yet. Why did he put his hand up? He put his hand up because music is a powerful thing. Toby Mack, who's a Christian musician, he says that words, w- music goes where words can't go. And in our mental health series, we learned that music can, can drive away the evil spirits in our lives. When King Solomon was being, uh, being, being just attacked by these evil spirits, like mentally and spiritually, uh, he hired King David, who was just David at that point, to play the lyre, and the evil spirits would leave. So music is something that we, we, that is such a gift from God and that we understand that as a church. And I love the fact that we are so passionate about worship and writing our own music because it's just a testimony about, about how God has been working in our hearts. So you guys are a part of that too. So with that in mind, sorry about that. So with that in mind, I want to share one more attitude, another attitude that we have to have as a church. A church is healthiest when its members are contributing to the mission. I want us to read in Luke verse, chapter 5, verse 29. Luke presented... Ayúdame, por favor. Later, Levi held a banquet in his home with Jesus as a guest of honor. Many of Levi's fellow tax collectors and other guests also ate with them. But the Pharisees and their teachers of religious law complained bitterly to Jesus. And you guys know the rest. It's the same story. But what's different in this passage, that's different in the passage that we read in Matthew, it didn't say dinner. It said a banquet. And you know what a banquet is? A banquet is not just any dinner. It's like they put it on. It's formal. You have people serving. You have, you have people like waiting. On, and you have a, and I looked it up. And you have a, usually a speaker lined up to speak. In this case, it was Jesus. And 
this shows us that, I want to tell you guys, our Sundays is when we have that banquet in our church. That's when we invite our coworkers. That's when we invite our friends and our families to meet Jesus. And our church is healthiest when its members are contributing to the mission. We have uh, a girl in our church that's a graphic designer, and she, the way she contributes on a Sunday morning, and I want you guys to ask this question, what can you contribute on a Sunday morning? This girl, this woman, contributes on a Sunday morning by helping to design the, the sermon series logo that we have. And we also have a person in second service, he's not here today, that collects all the trash, dumps it out in the trash can, in the dumpster, and then replaces all the, all the bags before he leaves. And because that's the way he's able to con- contribute to the mission as a church. I want you to start asking that question because if Sundays are, are our banquets, when we throw a banquet for our coworkers, people who are far, for, far away from Jesus, how can you be a part of making this banquet, this atmosphere, this place awesome? Maybe you can only come in the weekend when, uh, and you're a landscaper and you want to make the, the outside look nice in our parking lot or you're a gardener or, you're, or fix anything in the building. Maybe that's the one way you can contribute also. We win as a church when we invite people that we invest in to come to church and we win as a church when we start contributing to making Sunday mornings an amazing place for someone to meet Jesus. My last point is we want to include people. People don't want to just believe. They want to belong. They want to be part of a community. We're made to have relationships and a community. The cool thing about our God, he's not just God, just one God. He's our God three in one. He's the Father, the Son, of the Holy, and the Holy Spirit. So he's a community in himself. And so it makes sense that we, as humans, long for community and want to be with each other. How can you include people in our church to be a part of what God's doing here? Circles is coming up next month. And I want you to start to find, start praying that God would help lead you to a circle, to a small group where you can, when you can go and they meet every week outside of Sunday. And, and you can have that community that loves God and you can invite that person that you've been investing in to be surrounded by that people, those people too. Uh... As we close out this message, I want us to think about how God invested, invited, and included us into his family and into a relationship with him. God invested in us when he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for us. When we talk investment, we, talk, we think of stocks. Imagine the, the highest uh, valued stock. That was Jesus and more. Jesus was the only person that could pay the price for our sins. And the Bible says he died for us while we were still sinners, while we didn't even know who Jesus was. God invested in us when he sent his son. God invited us through Jesus. In Revelation 3.20, this is why I love my man, Jesus. He says, look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and get this. We will share a meal together. Amen? Yes. Jesus, my man, he loves food and he loves to eat. And I love that about our God. Sometimes I'll be eating a steak, and I'm in awe of God. Like, God, this meat that you created, you knew that my tongue was going to, my my taste buds was going to like this. And I'm just in awe. 
Just, I love food. And I love the fact that Jesus loves food also. And Jesus, God included us into his family in Romans 8.15. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now, call, now we call him Abba, Father. Guys, when you accepted Christ into your life as your Lord and Savior, you didn't just become a believer. You became a child of God. And by his spirit, you have been adopted into his family. And by his spirit, we cry out to him and we say, God, Father, Abba, Father. What an amazing relationship that we have with God. He invested in us, he invited us, and he included us in his family. As a church, I want to encourage us this week to start praying. And I want, us to, encourage, I want to encourage us to find someone we can invest in, someone we can invite, and someone we can include. Let me pray. God, we thank you so much that we have the privilege of being able to call you our father and being, us being able to call your children, that we have the privilege, privilege of having a relationship with you. God, I pray that just like Jesus opened his doors wide, I pray that Restoration Church, us, Lord, as your body here in our community, we would, we would shift our attitudes and shift our actions so that, so that we would open our doors wide, so that even the lowest of the low can come and enter through our doors, God. Let your Holy Spirit fill our hearts and enable us to start contributing to the mission that you have for us as a church, to see how we can be a part of throwing this banquet so that more people can know you, Jesus. Work in our hearts and help us to invest, invite, and include those people you put in our circle of influence. Thank you, God, and let your Holy Spirit lead us and guide us. And we pray all these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.